Breaking It Down with Frank McKay. This is 1039 LI News Radio. I'd like to welcome everyone to Breaking It Down. Frank McKay here with uh, a part two uh, of a very important author and educator. And she's the author of four books. Her latest is The Art of Emotional Resilience, An Everyday Guide to Resistant Reaction, Cultivating Compassion, and Gracefully Managing Yourself. Molly Dahl is our very special guest. Molly, how are you? I'm good. Good morning, Frank. How are you? Good. And listen, thrilled to have you again. You got me thinking the last time we we spoke, and I just kept thinking about little things you said. And uh, boy, you're very good at what you do. I've got to say that. And uh, uh, again, you uh, you've got to be very happy with. Um, I I'm assuming, and I shouldn't make those assumptions, but you you've got to be pretty happy with where where you are mentally and how you're able to impart that um, you know information, that wisdom to others. Well, thank you, Frank. Uh, mostly, yes. You know, some days are a little bit trickier than others, but, you know, overall, yeah, things are good. Yeah. Well, one of the things when you when you talk about young people, when you have this type of information and you can get it to them at a young age, and I know we all like to say, hey, anybody could learn at any age, and it's true, but you, you find it as an educator, as a teacher, as an author – that it is easier uh, as people are developing at, at that that age, you know, whether it's middle school or or high school, uh, it somehow it 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 seems to seep in easier uh, the information that we're giving them. Would you agree with that? You know, I think so. For most, not always, but for most, you know, the adolescent brain development is a really cool stage in the life of a person. There's a lot of uh, pruning and restructuring going on. And so at that stage of life, and as well as the natural curiosity about who am I and what am I doing, you know, the, the brain and the mind are both ripe for laying down a really solid foundation. Um, if some of that information is available, if some of that support from trusting, trustable loving, guiding adults are there, then we're going to have a pretty good chance to lay down a strong, positive uh, foundation for an adolescent, which is the fun of it, you know, because they're so curious at that time. So much happens at home and an educator, a teacher, uh, someone from the outside uh, has a lot to what uh, a lot to deal with and a lot to either reconstruct or reconfigure but there's there's a lot to be said to get to getting to the parents and getting to these folks before they have their children and and as they're teaching it but it's it, i i would have to believe that it's so much more difficult to teach somebody to be positive who is coming from a very negative home yeah, I think that's a that's a pretty accurate assessment. You know, the the first seven years of life are the most critical to lay down a foundation of functionality, being able to function as a human being, being able to be resilient. But it's never too late. You know, this whole thing of neuroplasticity is is so much to our advantage that the brain can learn and grow till the last day of life. You know. And so I think it's a very positive thing that we have going on for us, our natural biology, and 
I think that as we learn more about how the human being develops and how the mind develops and which ages are the most critical, then we're just setting ourselves up in the long run for a better, for a happier society, for more resilient humanity. Uh, and I, I don't think it's too late yet. Um, I think there's a lot of hope right now. Uh, I think it, when times are rough, we, we kind of reach out and hang on to the things that are hopeful and the things that are positive. And so those, those rough backgrounds that happen for many people, yeah, you know, we go through some rough stuff and, you know, and there are moments of positivity. There are moments of gratitude. There are moments of thinking, oh, I just accomplished this. Maybe I can do something else. Molly Dahl is the voice that you're hearing, and she's the author of four wonderful books and uh, such a, a positive influence on anyone who, who reads these and anyone who's fortunate enough to, to hear her speak. And just a, 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 a tremendous talent. Thrilled to have Molly Dahl with us once again. Frank McKay here with Molly. You know, my, my, uh, my mother, my late mother, uh, was, a, was an excellent mother without question. But, and, and when I say this, I, I, I don't mean to be critical of my mother. And, you know, we idealize my mom. But she knew it, and, and I knew it. She grew up in a different time. And the talk and the, the conversations that we had would, uh, would have a lot of negativity in it. And it would be, you know, doubt. A lot of things that would be there. Not that she didn't want to be supportive uh, but she uh, she would say things to to raise doubt in uh, in myself, my brother growing up. And, and certainly I don't want to blame her, but it is generational. And I think we are getting into a, a better. And again, I'll say it again. I'm 54 years old. So I think we are in a better generation. And I think the, the folks coming right behind us are, are more enlightened as well. Uh, would you would you agree with that or is that too much of a generalization? Uh, you know, I don't know. I think in certain areas of the country, maybe even the world, it could be a generalization. Um, but in certain areas, you know, little pockets, there's a really interesting um, phenomenon, I guess we'll call it, in the positive psychology world called the blue zones. And those are the zones in the world that have more um, centenarian, centenarians, older people, 80 years and older than anywhere else in the world. And they have some factors that contribute to the long life. And one of them is positivity uh, and gratitude mixed right in there together. One of them is really strong intergenerational relationships, as you mentioned with your mother, the intergenerational component is huge. And then spirituality. And so I, what I, there was a lot of information in there that you just gave, but sure. what I, what I tend to lean people toward if I can is that yes we come from a long history of our own personal heritage with certain characteristics with certain attitudes with certain demeanors and behaviors and we are all each individuals who can choose which direction we go and so I think and you know a lot of work is being done in psychology even in the medical field right now of intergenerational trauma, intergenerational languaging, intergenerational uh, disease and that kind of stuff. 
And so, yes, so that is a very powerful factor. I mean, you know, we are the product of our heritage. But when we can begin to understand what, what benefits, what positive attributes, what goodness comes from my heritage, we can really lean on those strengths that are in us to be able to face the doubt you mentioned, to face the criticism that we endure, to face whatever it might have been, and use our strengths to kind of, you know, in my family, the word was pull yourself up by the bootstraps. And so even, even with the, the negativities, we have so much goodness. I mean, we wouldn't be here, <laughs> you know, we wouldn't have made it this far as a civilization, let alone as family structures, if there weren't resilience in us, if there weren't a get up and go attitude, if there weren't this drive to follow our passions, to follow our heart. How much different is this latest work of yours than anything else that you've done? I mean, is it a continuation or is is this kind of a, a standalone book? You know, I think it could be considered both. If you're looking at the youth program, you know, the development of the self going through kind of the natural stages of where a teenage mind would want to focus on first on the self and then looking outward toward relationships and how to create positive relationships and then moving into what it is that creates thriving and flourishing. This could easily be seen, the um, art of emotional resilience could easily be seen as a continuation for, uh, you know, college age and onward to just keep going with that personal development, with that uncovering of what am I good at? Where am I going? What do I want to do? How can I make a positive impact in the world? And if anybody just picks it up off the bookshelf, you know, Frank, one of my goals is to have this uh, in airport bookstores and, yeah. <laughs> you know, people walk by and they're like, oh, that I got to read that on the plane. Um it is completely a standalone and valuable to any adult who feels called to it or is curious about the title or curious about their own emotional resilience and the way that their life is going and ways that it might be better. The Art of Emotional Resilience, an Everyday Guide to Resisting Reaction, Cultivating Compassion, and Gracefully Managing Yourself is the latest from author Molly Dahl, and she is our very special guest. And we urge everyone to uh, to listen to our first broadcast as well. And uh, she's you know, she's absolutely terrific, as you can hear in this short period of time. Frank McKay here. So much more importantly, Molly Dahl is our very special guest. You know when when we talk about or when we when we think about what we say to ourselves, now we're we're dealing with a generation and and us as well that text things and we're constantly texting and i imagine there's not as much talking as uh, as, as there used to be and that means telephones or even in person this generation is growing up texting things do you think there's advantages to that and i know you know the old school way of thinking is oh they're missing out on this and they're missing out on the interpersonal and maybe they're all right but are there positives to the fact that they're putting their thoughts in writing and uh, and maybe uh, they are uh, they have they have to be a little more thoughtful uh, before people just say things 
Well, you know, it is such an interesting conversation in the whole adolescent world, and especially when you, we look at, you know, grandparents more than parents nowadays, the kids nowadays and their grandparents. <clears throat> yeah, we want them to communicate, and they have text, and that's how they do. And for the mind-brain complex to develop with an ability to process synthesize and apply information language is what we have you know that's how we create the world that we live in and so i studied languages you know i taught spanish for 15 years of my life i've studied sanskrit you know everywhere i travel i learned the basics and when i was in hungary it was kosanu means thank you and when you say that to somebody in hungary they light up and they love you because you take the time to learn at least one word, you know, thank you, the very most polite word on the whole entire planet. Yeah. And so when we abbreviate our language and when we bring it into emojis and we, we don't take the time to create full sentences, we really are in the long run shortchanging our own ability to create a very dynamic, rich, world of possibilities and so you know i might be a little biased being so in love with language and a writer and studying languages we have to have language we have to be able to communicate with each other and when we when we abbreviate it too much we we really lose ability to express ourselves to know ourselves the introspection that is critical to self-development if we don't have language we're not going to be able to understand who we are how we create our own sense of self and how that sense of self merges with the world around us and so you know every chance i get i encourage teenagers to you know what call your friends they hate it <laughs> they don't like to talk on the phone you know uh, writing to get teenagers to write it's like pulling teeth, but once they get a sense of, oh, I can go anywhere through the written word, then it's a different world for them. And I think part of our job as adults and parents and caregivers is to really support our younger generation in critical thinking. And critical thinking takes language and it takes vocabulary and it takes a deep understanding of what it is you're trying to convey. You know, in 1969, so many things happened, and and it was a watershed year for so many different reasons, and uh, the moon landing, right, and the uh, and and things like Woodstock. Uh, one one uh, event that happened was Sesame Street <laughs> came and uh. emerged, and it almost sounds funny to say, but on the 50th birthday, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, the 50th anniversary, I should say, of Sesame Street. Time Magazine posed an interesting question, and they said, and I think it was Time Magazine, they said either we created the most with, by, by uh, Sesame Street, we, we helped create the, the most educated generation of all time, or we created basically ADHD or the, uh, the short attention span and so forth. And I guess 50 years is, is enough time, enough of a sample size to see how that worked. I wonder how long it will take before, you know, the emoji generation and the uh, that kind of communication. How soon will we be able to tell 
what happened from the uh, the smartphone and the uh, ironically right the smartphone uh, make things easier and we're kind of dumbing down things a little bit but i the, those two two points if you'd comment on them uh, first of all the sesame street um, generation i do you do you look back on that as being a big success you know, I interestingly, I uh, grew up on Sesame Street a little bit. We didn't have TV when I was really young. Uh, I was born in 1970, so I'm right behind you there on that yeah. 1969 advent of the world. And so I, what do I think about Sesame Street? Um, you know, I, I, did, I didn't ever work with Milton Chen. Uh, he was one of the founders. But I, in the education world, I shared time with him at conferences. He came and did one of the keynotes of a conference that I put on a couple years back. And it was right at that time of 50 years of Sesame Street. And, you know, there is a celebration of being able to reach more and more kids uh, and get them reading, get them knowing their alphabet. Sometimes in the home, it's just hard for parents to read to their kids. It's hard for them to teach them the alphabet. It's hard for them to really sit down with them and talk about emotions and that kind of stuff. So on one hand, I do think Sesame Street was beneficial to many, many kids. Uh, on the other hand, you know, how important is it still as a society for parents to read to their children? And that is one of the markers of kids being interested in education and kids making educational progress and being lifelong learners is when their parents read to them. And so, you know, there's there's always the flip side of every coin. And so uh, into this idea of the smartphone and emojis, you know, there is one thing that I'm curious about. I don't know. I've just it's just come across my radar lately. The um, the the way that we communicate with symbols and colors and facial expressions and body postures and that kind of stuff, and just wondering. So if we're if we're abbreviating our language to just emojis to physical or facial representations of my whole inner world. You know, are we in some way, I'm trying to spin it positive here, (laughs) are we in some way reconnecting with a sense that we have kind of lost a sense of really being in tune with emotions, in tune with what I feel in my body and how I can convey that? And sometimes, you know, we all do it. We all send emojis. And sometimes it is easier to have a little picture that identifies the way I respond and the way I feel. So, you know, maybe here's an interesting thing about language. We have a couple of pre-linguistic languages, um, emotions and facial expressions being number one when we're babies before we ever learn language, right? We, we, we respond to mother, to her facial emotions, her coos and oohs and ahs. And then we develop a language of play before we ever have written language you know before even spoken language and so maybe maybe there is a part that's really beneficial that using emojis is fun and it reconnects us with an earlier sense of communicating with each other of being more playful and more light-hearted maybe hopefully somewhere in there and there's some some real truth to that that does connect us to a different sense of self, a different sense of communicating. Well, I think there's a tremendous amount of truth in what you said. And, and you're, you're right, you're trying to be positive and you're trying to spin it positively. But, you know, I think there's some truth to be, uh, you know, to be said for sure in there. Uh, Frank McKay here. 
So much more importantly, if you're just joining us a little late, we urge you to binge listen to everything that we've been doing <laughs> here with Molly Dahl. The name of the book, and everyone's got to get two of these books, The Art of Emotional Resilience, An Everyday Guide to Resistant Reaction, Cultivating Compassion, and Gracefully Managing Yourself. And if you're out there listening and you're in the distribution business, uh, get this book in into all the airports around there. So when people go on, they could uh, they could have something good to to read. Uh, you know, hear hear us loud and keep clear on that. Molly Dahl, once again, is our very special guest. Frank McKay here with Molly. Th- that being said, what you just said about the emojis and maybe they're they're being in touch. How long does it usually take you, as an educator? To realize something's working, a lesson, a a direction that you're going in, is it is it sometimes immediate? Is it all the times? Well, I doubt it's all the times immediate. Uh, it, I, obviously, I I would think that it would take uh, take some time, but how long does it usually take you as an educator to see if a direction that you're going in is working? You know, I that is so fun. That's one of the fun things about being an educator, about being in a classroom full of kids. And even with adults, I, I think it's a little more difficult with adults, but with kids, it's real easy. Some stuff, you know, immediately. I mean, they perk up and they are with you and they're eating out of your hand. Other stuff, you know, as a teacher, you have to offer little phrases like, okay, stay with me here. This is going to be really neat, <laughs> but we've got to lay some groundwork. Um, and so sometimes the the more fun part of it is laying that groundwork for them, helping them to, you know, in education, it's called scaffolding. You have to have a certain amount of knowledge about the foundation of whatever it is you're going to build on. And so, you know, as a teacher, you always kind of pre-assess, right? Um, you check in, what do you, what do you already know about this? And then you get everybody as much as you can on the same page. And then you build from there. And, you know, the interesting thing, I'm going to talk a little bit about language. And this is one of those things that when I first learned it and shared it with my students, it was this big, huge, like, oh, my gosh, everybody leaned forward in their desk. Tell me more. The human brain does not have an area, a designated area for written languages. Wow. So writing numbers, that that all came, there's not a part in the brain. So that was developed. We have a natural area that will develop itself for speaking, for auditory comprehension, right? We have that. Babies learn how to talk. Most babies, when they're a year at least, are saying mama, right? Yeah. The brain doesn't have an area for written letters and words. And so what does the brain do? It co-ops the area of facial recognition. And so when we're when we are little and we're learning letters, oftentimes, you know, teachers will create little faces on the alphabet or they'll put ears on the letter O or something like that. So kids can use the area of their brain that recognizes facial features. And so that's one of those things that nobody knows, right? We don't know that our brain doesn't automatically do letters. And so when we learn that, most of us can flash back and say, oh my gosh, no wonder I had such a hard time learning to read or learning, or especially dyslexia. 
you know, if we're doing printing, the letter P, the letter Q, the letter B, and the letter D are all the same letter. They're a round belly with a stem. And so the P, the stem is on the left going down. On the Q, it's on the right going down. On the B, it's on the left going up. On the D, it's on the right going up. And so for the dyslexic mind that doesn't, that really struggles to put a letter to a sound or meaning, when we can help them understand, oh, this is what's happening in the brain. It takes so much pressure off of that learner and so much of the stress and anxiety away from the learning process and then we just make it fun so how can we make this into a character or a even an animal face or something like that to help that little brain develop a system for remembering for decoding and deciphering written words it's cool yeah it's cool process absolutely fascinating and uh just uh, all of that again molly doll is our very special guest. I, I mentioned last week that I love the title of the book. And again, this is your latest of four, but the title has an awful lot to say. And switching gears for a moment, if I'm going to dissect, let, let me pull out cultivating compassion in there because mm-hmm. it's a little different than what we've been we've been talking about. We've been talking about the, the, the mental and emotional. Compassion is, is, is a different... Uh, concept altogether and it's uh, it, it's dealing with other people and I guess you know in in some ways putting yourself in their uh, other people's shoes and feeling for them it's it's empathy it's sympathy there's a lot going on there just in those two words cultivating compassion if you don't mind let's talk about cultivating compassion and, and again we want everyone to buy the book but uh, give us a little taste of 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 how you talk about cultivating compassion. Oh, it's so interesting. The thank you for that question. That I'm teaching a class at our local community college and this is my course lesson for tonight. So thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Refresh my mind. Um, so it's really interesting that there is not a chapter on compassion itself. How I weave that in is through gratitude. My perception And what I share in the book is that it is through gratitude that we actually come to appreciate others and that we can actually have a little bit of, I don't know, you know, we have to create it, but maybe an inside peek into their world. And so through gratitude, um, there's a story in there on the, the beginning of the gratitude chapter about having a cup of coffee in a little cafe and then realizing that the barista is spending, you know, those hours of his day taking care of you, you know, giving his life energy to make you a beautiful cup of coffee, bringing it over and serving you this beautiful cup of coffee, and then branching into the people who make the muffins and, you know, the people who pick the coffee in Costa Rica and the people who ship the coffee and then the people who make the tires on the truck and, and this whole big web of gratitude. And as we become grateful for the people around us, we soften toward them. That guy is spending his, his shift, say four hours. He's spending four hours of his life, yes, to make some money so he can take care of his life, but in a certain way to serve me, to serve you if you're behind me in line, mm. to spend his time and his energy being nice to us, to ask us what we want, what's going to make us most happy. And so it can really be this way to 
soften our hearts. Like, you know, maybe he doesn't want to be here for four hours in the morning. Maybe he has a pressing need to take care of his sick mother or drive his kids to school or something else. But here he is, you know, and we can get so wrapped up in, oh, they're just working to earn money or I'm just working to earn money. Yes. And, and why do we pick the jobs that we do, you know? because we're at least a little bit interested and sometimes passionate about what we do and how we can serve others and how we can make others happy. And so as we expand into the sense of gratitude that I'm not doing this alone, you know, there's a lot of other people that give their life to take care of me. We can have this, an open heart and we can, if they're a little bit cranky at the, at the behind the cash register one morning, you know, we can soften and say, you know, maybe something did happen this morning that is really affecting them, you know, and we don't know that, but we can, we can give the, give them the benefit of the doubt, you know, and in that way, we create more of a compassionate society because we judge less, we're less critical, we're open to the possibilities that, you know, there's something going on behind the scenes. So I'm just going to be a little extra nice <laughs> and try to make their day a little less grueling. I said so it, that's my entry point. Yeah. Well, listen, I, I said it the first time I spoke to you, and uh, it's so tempting to say, where, are, where were all the teachers like Molly Dahl when I was a student? And uh, I, I can't really say it because all we have to do is buy her book, The Art of Emotional <laughs> Resilience, yes. An Everyday Guide to Resisting Reacting. A reaction, cultivating compassion and gracefully managing yourself. Molly Dahl is the author of three other books other than that. Get them all. But uh, Molly, before you go, can you give us a website or a social media site where people could follow along with what you're doing? Sure. Thank you, Frank. Uh, the, the social media that I use most is Instagram, and it's Molly the Dahl, D-A-H-L. Uh, I have a website, mollydahl.us. And that's for the adult work and then youthpositive.net for the work with adolescents. Yeah. Molly, uh, great, great job once again. And uh, you, you have very fortunate uh, students and uh, very fortunate people around you buying your book. And let's get these uh, these books, especially this one, into airports. <laughs> you're, you're, you're absolutely <laughs> perfect for that flight. And this is a, a life changing type of work and uh, Molly Dahl thank you very much congratulations on all your success and thanks again for being here thank you Frank I've had a blast and I really appreciate you who asked really good questions so thank you Molly Dahl once again I'm going to give you the name of the book it is a mouthful but it is it, it is a book that you must get the art of emotional resilience an everyday guide to resisting reaction cultivating compassion and gracefully managing yourself frank mckay signing off molly doll and doll is spelled d-a-h-l uh look her up she is absolutely fantastic the author of four books and uh buy this book buy two give one to you to to your favorite friend who could use a little pick me up and it's perfect here molly doll has been our very special guest frank mckay signing off we'll see you all next time on breaking it down